Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this evening. If you will, be open your Bibles to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew, the 12th chapter. What a blessing it is to be together and sing about the story of love and the story of Jesus. And what a wonderful challenge uh, as we have committed ourselves to God in that song uh, that we would go out and tell that story. And so let's all keep our promise and keep our commitment uh, that we've just sung. And let's make that our story. Many times individuals that are very sincere and from a genuine heart say, well, you know, there was that time that Jesus allowed his disciples to violate the law. And, and so there are times where we just have to do the wrong thing because it's for the greater good. Now, as we think about ethics, well, all we have to do is turn on our television now in the state of Tennessee, and we hear the great debate that's going on Capitol Hill. And, of course, ethics is the debate of a standard, of moral standard, the standard of what is right. And that will always be debated as long as we live. But we need to really stop and give some serious consideration to what is ethical in our relationship with the Lord? And are there times where the Lord is perfectly fine with the fact that maybe we'll just have to tell a white lie at this particular time? Maybe we'll have to do wrong here because at least it will come out in the end, so to speak. In just a few minutes we'll read the text, but consider a couple of, of schools of thought as we look at the definition of ethics. It's a standard for conduct and moral judgment. And there's uh, at least two major schools of thought that deal with this. The ontological school of thought is the ethical theory concerned with duties and rights. Dion doesn't mean great cornerback. It means the duty and so therefore, when one decides what is right, they believe that they have a duty to do what is right. So in other words, they're not going to look, hey, how was this done in the past? They're not going to look and say, how was this done in the future? And how, if I make certain decisions, is this going to affect the end? They're going to look at that moment and say, what is the righteous decision at this point in time? And once I do that, let the chips fall where they may, I'm going to do the right thing right now. Now when we look at the teleological, that is where the focus is, much more upon the end. It's the idea that, that the end could justify the means. And so therefore, if Rahab is hiding the spies, if the end comes out fine for her to lie, therefore it must be perfectly fine for her to lie because those means justifies that end. And so we have to stop and say, well, what does the Scripture say of all of this? Would it be acceptable at times to tell a lie? Would it be acceptable at times to do what is wrong? Let's look at three areas of thought as, as it deals with, with ethics. And, and as we look at these three, keep in mind there are many, many others, but I thought these three were most closely related to the text that we'll read tonight as we think about alternatives. One is generalism. Generalism holds to the absolute end instead of the absolute norm. In other words, that's what we were just talking about just a moment ago, the teleological. In other words, that is, let's look at the end and let's decide what 
will lead to the greater end. Uh, for example, a, uh, a, a grandfather dies and the parents of a grandchild decide to tell the child, well, really, they just went on a trip. Well, why would you lie like that? Why wouldn't you say they died? Well, I just believe that in the end, that would comfort them so much more. Well, wouldn't it be better to do the right thing than to try to justify doing the wrong thing? The second is situationalism, and of course that is looking to a particular situation and evaluating acts in light of that situation rather than uh, looking at the context and say, there is an absolute right and wrong, and let's figure out in this particular case what is the right and wrong. And then the, the final one that we'll look at is hierarchicalism, and that is looking at the hierarchy and deciding, okay, here are three areas that are three options, and really none of these three options are right. Let's just choose the best of the three. And, and even though all three of them are wrong, let's just choose the best one, and, and we'll conclude that we've done the best that we can do. All right, let's take that introduction, if you will, to this line of thought, and let's go to a passage again. And I want to emphasize to you, I've had more people in the time that I've been in ministry ask me sincerely about this. Not, not one of these where, where they're really trying to uh, find a loophole. It is a sincere, hey, wasn't Jesus really allowing His disciples for this occasion to do the wrong thing? And so I want us to address this tonight, of course, not in an attacking kind of way, but to address it as this is a passage that really misleads a lot of sincere folks. So let's go to Matthew, the 12th chapter now, and uh, we'll begin reading. Uh, as we read, notice there's kind of a, a brief storyline in 1 and 2. Then Jesus brings up another storyline in 3 and 4. And then He brings up a single storyline in, uh, in verse 5. And then kind of some concluding, concluding remarks there in 6 and 7. So let's read this together. We're in Matthew, the 12th chapter. So here would be the first storyline, 12th chapter, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, this whole lesson is going to have to do with the Sabbath and the law pertaining to the Sabbath. And His disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God and he ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. In other words, here he's saying, the Lord is present. He was the Lord. Of course, incarnation, incarnated, but he was the Lord. And so he's saying, you're worried about the temple, whether it's profane, I'm, the, I'm greater than the temple. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And so then he says in 7, But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. As we look at this passage, 
Let's think about the three major points that's brought up in the first five verses. One, we have to ask the question, did Jesus' disciples violate the Sabbath law? Second, we have to ask the question, did Jesus condone David's sin of eating the showbread and giving it to the men that were with him? And then thirdly, we need to address the fact of, did the priest profane the Sabbath? And if so, how do we address that? With these three things in mind, let's go back and address the first one. Keep in mind, the Pharisees said that Jesus' disciples had violated the Sabbath. Now, if you'll remember, the Pharisees said a lot of things that weren't true. So let's see if, in fact, what they said was truth. But first, let's go back to Exodus 20 chapter, and let's just have a brief reminder of what does it mean to violate the Sabbath. There are many, many passages that we could read in the old law about the Sabbath, but let's read the one that was given as part of the Ten Commandments, and this will give us kind of a foundation to work off of. In Exodus, the 20th chapter, we're going to read verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments, and he says in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, <clears throat> Definitely, a part of keeping the Sabbath was not to bake, not to boil anything, to have meals in what we would call pretty much prepared ahead of time. But now think for a moment. What were His disciples doing when they were accused of violating the Sabbath? All they were doing was walking through a grain field and they would pluck off some of the heads of grain in their hand, probably barley or wheat, rubbing the chaff off of them and eating the grain. Now had they violated the Sabbath in that? Had they cooked anything? Had they boiled anything? Had they went out with tools and made a harvest so that they violated the aspect of work? Had they violated the aspect of cooking? And it doesn't take much study and reflecting upon this to conclude quickly. They had only violated the traditions of the Pharisees, not the law of God. Linsky is a scholar and has written much about the traditions of the Jews. And, and I don't know if I'll read this little, the entire of this little paragraph here, but I want to get us started and then I may jump to the end here. He says this would be their understanding of, of the Sabbath and, and etc. He who reaps on the Sabbath is chargeable, and to pluck ears is a species of reaping. You see, it would be violation of the Sabbath to take tools and go out and reap, or to go out and work gathering with one's hands. But they were not doing that. They were only plucking occasionally as they went along 
We, in a sense, today would even call it snacking as they went along. But anyway, the conclusion is that the grinding and the plucking was actually a type of reaping. And so therefore, <clears throat> they were strongly condemned. Now, let me come in with just a little side note here. I don't know about you, and you might want to be turning to Deuteronomy, the 23rd chapter, as we look at this. I don't know about you, but there was always uh, a little bit of nagging in the back of my mind when I read this because I said, hey, even if they didn't violate the Sabbath, who has the right to go through a man's field and just pluck his grain? I mean, it wasn't their field. And, and so I'm just going to give you a little sideline here that always bugged me. And, and here gives us a little bit of insight, though. Under the old law, if one was traveling along, keep in mind, this was before the days of convenience stores and, and a little cafe at every place. And so if one was traveling along under the old law, God gave them a right to eat out of another man's field as long as they were not gathering. So you see, really, this is a good study to parallel. In other words, they weren't harvesting. They were just eating enough at the time that they were traveling to suffice them, not to work, not to labor, not to harvest, not to reap. Here's where we could read this in Deuteronomy 23rd chapter. Let's read uh, verse 24 and 25. He says, when you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. You see the principle that the Lord's giving here? If you're on your way, it's fine to take under the old law. I don't know if you ought to try this in your neighbor's yard or vineyard today under the new law, but under the old law, it was fine to take a few grapes along the way. But what was condemned? was to take a little container out there and, wow, those are good. I think I'll put a little handful in here and take some back to the family at home. He says, oh, no. Now you're, you're reaping. Now you're harvesting. They're not yours. Don't harvest another man's crop. But if you're going along and you're eating a few, that was acceptable. The very next verse is pretty much the same. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the hedge with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So again, the principle is that it was fine to take and to eat what could be eaten at the moment, but it wasn't acceptable to reap another man's crop, to harvest another man's crop. So did they violate the Sabbath? Well, at this point, I could understand if someone says, well, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if that's enough to convince me. So let's just go back to our text and let's hear what Jesus said, whether or not they violated the Sabbath. We're back in Matthew, the 12th chapter. You might have noticed it when we read through the first time, but if you didn't, it's going to glare out at you now in verse 7. Let's see what Jesus said, whether or not they were guilty of violating the Sabbath or whether they were not guilty. Let's read it again. We're in Matthew, the 12th chapter, verse 7. But if you had known what this means, and then he quotes back from Hosea 6 and 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And now he's back to their present day and time. He says, you would not have condemned the guiltless. That's the answer, brethren. Jesus told us whether or not they were guilty of violating the Sabbath. And he says, you have understood it to be guilt by your traditions. It's what's implied there. But have they violated the Sabbath? No. You've misunderstood the law. They are guiltless. 
And so I need to be real careful before I step over a huge line. We're not talking about some little line here. It is a huge line to step over and say, well, you know, Jesus did allow his disciples from time to time to violate the law. Jesus quickly said, oh, no, don't start spreading that around. My disciples are guiltless in this matter. Now, we don't have a slide on this one, but I want to read to you a verse you're probably going to recognize. If you want to be turning back a few pages, Matthew, the fifth chapter. When individuals talk about Jesus violating the Sabbath occasionally or violating a law occasionally, that also not only, that just brings up all kinds of problems. We could discuss for great length the problems that would bring up. But one problem that immediately comes to mind is it would make him a liar also because just a few verses, a few chapters earlier, it was recorded uh, Jesus saying this, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew the fifth chapter. <clears throat> Listen as we begin verse 17. Do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In other words, He came to obey it, to bring it to its full cause. It was designed to bring the people uh, to, to the time of Jesus, and He's come to obey it, and He's come to fulfill that. But now notice He says, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness... Now here's where it really goes right back to the, the theme tonight, I mean to the text tonight. Notice what he says in his Sermon on the Mount. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Pharisees were notorious for keeping their tradition, but yet violating the law. And so he's saying, listen, I didn't come. Now, I don't even know if he's implying this, but he could have said at this point, I didn't come to keep the Pharisees' traditions. Now, what he did say here was, I came to keep the law. And using our expression of speech now, because that's what he used here was expression of speech. Using our expression of speech today, he would have said, I am going to take that law and I'm going to dot every I and I'm going to cross every T. And I'm going to be an individual that not only keeps it, but I'm going to teach men that they need to keep it. And if there's anybody that would encourage someone not to keep the law, they are the least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had every intention and succeeded in fulfilling every law and never encouraging someone to do anything else. And so it's important that we understand the difference in when a Pharisee speaks and when Jesus speaks. The Pharisee said, your disciples have violated the law. Jesus said, they're guiltless. They've done no wrong. But that still brings us to the question as we go back to our text. What about verse 3 and 4 where Jesus himself brings up that story of David? David, if you'll remember, he was having to run 
uh, and hiding. He was refuge from Saul, running for his life. And it's during this time that, that David went through so many difficult days. And it's during this time that David made some mistakes. Keep in mind, it is at the times that our faith is being tried that we are the most tempted to justify wrongdoing. And we see an occasion of that with David as we go back to 1 Samuel, the 21st chapter, which is what is, is being referred to uh, by Jesus here in Matthew, the 12th chapter. And in 1 Samuel, the 21st chapter, we don't have it on the screen, but if you want to be turning there, I'd like to read at least um, probably six verses here. And, and notice the story here. He says in 1 Samuel, the 21st chapter, Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? Something was really wrong when one that had been anointed king was coming with no guards, no one surrounding them. So this, this kind of caught him off guard, and this made... Uh, the priest here, very afraid. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you, and I have directed my young men to such and such place. Let's pause for a moment. He's having to find food for his men. His men are hungry. He's already started with a lie. Well, maybe if it's survival... A lie is all right. I want, I'm going to come right back to here, so if you want to turn away, I want to read to you a passage, just real quick, one verse out of Psalms 119. And you know, many of the Psalms that David wrote were in response to what he went through during this time. And I wonder, I wonder if this, in Psalms 119, this paragraph, wasn't, with the fact in mind of this occasion, or occasions similar to this, where David really, for at least a brief moment, chose situational ethics instead of choosing to do the right thing. And uh, so we see that he's just lied there. And when we begin in a paragraph here at Psalms 119 and verse 25, he begins by saying, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. You see, he's been in difficult times. He needs revival. He needs to be brought back around to righteousness again. And in 26, he says, I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate upon your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. You see, he's gone through difficult times. Strengthen me according to your word. Now here's the line. Remove from me the way of lying. You ever thought about the great King David as a liar? And he wasn't proud of it. At this point, he's not trying to justify it. Maybe back here he's trying to justify it. Psalms 119, he's not trying to justify it. He's saying, Lord, I was in a time of heaviness. I need to get my life back on the right track. Take that lying tongue away from me. And the rest of that paragraph, the rest of the chapter is beautiful. Let's read on about what David did here. We're back now at 1 Samuel, the 21st chapter, and we're in verse 3. And he says, Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, and whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There's no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. 
If the young men have eight, uh, least have at least kept themselves from the women, then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel of this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it, has, when it was taken away. You see, the showbread was only for the priest. It was holy. Profane means to make that common. No one except the priest could eat of that bread. And for anyone else to do that would be to take that which is holy and profane it. David says, give me five loaves of bread. I don't have any bread. The only thing we've got is the showbread. Give me the showbread. And he takes and he feeds the bread. The Jews knew this. And what does Jesus do? In Jesus' awesome wisdom, He brings up the story that they knew well. And you know what? They still loved David. And they still accepted David. And he really did violate the law. In other words, again, let's go back and see what Jesus said about this. Was Jesus trying to, to accept what David did, let's go back again to Matthew, the 12th chapter, and notice what it says in verse 4. How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat. Did Jesus dance around the subject? Oh, well, maybe on this occasion it was lawful for him. Well, maybe on this occasion that it, there was no harm for him to do it. Maybe on this occasion we have to consider the situation. Jesus just shot straight with them. Hey, you want to talk about people violating the law? Okay, let's talk about your forefather David that you think so much of, you love so dearly. I can tell you about the time that he went in. He ate the showbread. It's a violation of the law. They weren't willing to tolerate Jesus for a moment. And Jesus had not violated any law. But isn't it ironic they were willing to love David and he had violated the law? We don't have time to develop that fifth one where he asked about the, the priest, but let me just mention to you what it is there. In the homes in the Old Testament, no one on the Sabbath could, could kindle a fire, could cook. But yet the priest, by the command of God, had to kindle fires in the temple to offer sacrifice. They had to take and even offer double sacrifices in some instances on the Sabbath, which meant skinning out twice as many animals, preparing the meat offering of twice as many animals. In other words, they were doing things in the temple that no one else in their homes was allowed to do. Well, what was the point? I suppose Jesus was making the point here to say the Lord was the one that created the Sabbath and the Lord had the right to create the guidelines of the Sabbath. And so if the Lord said that in the Sabbath and the temple that these things that are going to be done and can't be done anywhere else, the Lord has the right to do that. 
And probably that's why we have in verse 8 that summary, for the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Now in the following verses that was setting the stage that we study tonight for the story where Jesus wanted to heal a man on the Sabbath. Of course, they didn't want that good being done on the Sabbath because they wanted to be able to accuse Jesus because they wanted to kill Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus says to them at that point, oh, if your ox fell into a ditch or if your sheep fell into a pit, you would reach and get them out on the Sabbath and do good to an animal, but yet you don't want to do good for a man? And in that sense, he had entrapped them. There's no doubt they didn't have a good answer for that. And what the huge irony of all this is Jesus was there to heal a man's life, had a withered hand, and Jesus was there to do good. The Pharisees were there to find a way that they could accuse Jesus in order to kill him. What irony. Jesus, you can't do good on the Sabbath. But I tell you what, us self-righteous people, we can figure out how to kill you on the Sabbath. Can you believe that religion can become so distorted? And that some that would call themselves the most religious of their day would be so far off track that they would falsely accuse Jesus to the point of looking for ways to kill Him and literally would succeed in killing Him. Tonight, let's make sure that we realize that just being religious has never been enough, but that loving God, keeping every bit of God's command while keeping a focus on God, love for mankind is what Christianity is all about. From the very beginning, there was a huge difference in the Pharisees and Christianity. Pharisees didn't know mercy. He compared them to the profanity of the priest in Hosea 6, which was nasty. Let's make sure that we know God, we know His law, we know mercy, we know obedience. Tonight, if you haven't submitted your life to the Lord, if you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, won't you do that tonight? Experience the mercy of God, the grace of God, and then come out of those waters of baptism to share that wonderful story with other people. Maybe you've been a child of God and somewhere along the way you've lost your way and you're not where you want to be when you stand before God on the day of judgment. Tonight is a wonderful opportunity to seek God's forgiveness. Get things back on the right track. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.